0: Speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. let be seated. Again, let me say how privileged I feel to be in worship with you, the people of our Savior Hillendale, today. My name is Marianne Buddy. I serve as the Bishop of the Diocese of Washington. A special warm welcome to family members of the two beautiful children to be baptized today. Uh, If you are a guest with us today, I hope you feel especially welcomed and at home in this place. Jesus was not a fisherman by trade. He was a carpenter. But for a carpenter, he spent a lot of time on the water. He grew up in Nazareth which was about 40 miles inland, but as he was about to begin his public life and ministry, he changed locations and moved to a fishing village called Capernaum, near the shores of a lake so large that the people called it a sea, the Sea of Galilee. Now the Sea of Galilee was the center of economic and social life for an entire region. Fish was the major food source for many people and fishing and the boating industries were the livelihood for many. And we know that at least four of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. But that lake also represented danger and loss, for when the storms rose on or near the water, people's lives were at risk. When you're on or near water during a powerful storm, you can't help but feel vulnerable as a human being, because human strength is no match for the power of wind and water combined. Now, three of Jesus's greatest miracles were performed on the water. The first took place early in his public life as he was beginning to gather up his team. He'd been in Capernaum for a while, he'd been talking to the people, showing up in synagogues, healing the sick, and he was becoming a bit of a local celebrity. And so one day he was out by the shore teaching and so many people crowded around him that he asked one of the local fishermen that he'd been keeping his eye on, a man by the name of Simon Peter, he said, he asked Peter if he would take him out onto the water in his boat so that he could speak to the crowds from the boat to the shore, if you can picture that, kind of primitive amphitheater there. And so they did that. And when he finished, he looked over to Simon and said, why don't you cast your net out to the deep for a catch? Now, as it turned out, Simon and his companions had been out all night long fishing with not a catch at all. And so he said, as politely as he could, to the man who obviously knew nothing about fish, um, teacher, we've been out all night, we've been out all night, and we haven't caught a thing but maybe he felt respect for this new teacher in town, or maybe he was just going to make his point by showing how fruitless the whole endeavor was. He said, all right, if you say so, I'll let down the net. And when he and his partners did, you remember what happened? They caught so many fish that their nets began to break by the weight of it. And then Simon Peter began to realize that Jesus was no ordinary man and he felt in his presence, in Jesus' presence now, his own inadequacies even more acutely. And so he says to him, depart from me, master. I am a sinful man. And Jesus said, "Eh, don't be afraid. From now on, you and I are going to be catching people. And when they brought their boats to shore, Simon Peter and his companion, as the story goes, just dropped everything and began to follow him. That's miracle number one. Second miracle on the water happened a bit later, again, after a long day of work, ministering to people. And at the end of that day, Jesus sent his disciples on ahead of him by boat to the other side of the lake while he went off by himself up the mountain to pray. And while the disciples were on the water, a storm arose on the lake so that they could not get to the other side. They were caught in the storm in the middle of the lake. And all night, all night the winds blew and they were out there. And then in the early morning as they were looking out from where Jesus had been, they saw this ghost walking toward them on the water. But as this image appeared closer and closer, Jesus said, don't worry, it's me. And then Simon Peter, this time, seeing what Jesus was doing, said, hey, can I, can I get out there too? Can I come out with you? And Jesus said, sure, come on out. And I have this image, and for those of you who have small children, you'll, you'll know this or remember this. I have this image of when a child is just learning how to walk, you know, and they're holding on to an edge of something, and their parents or grandparents are a little ways away kind of holding out their arms like this. Do you remember that, those of you who have kids? You're just holding your arms, and the child lets go and starts walking toward you, and then realizes what he's doing, and falls flat on his butt, right? That's that's what happens to Simon Peter. He's out there on the water, and he's thinking, oh my gosh, I'm walking on water, and that moment he begins to sink and cries out to Jesus to help him, and Jesus grabs him by the arm, lifts him up, and together they walk to the boat. Storm's calm, and they get to the other side. So that's miracle number two. And then finally, the third, the one I read just a moment ago, this third miracle story, also in a storm, but this time Jesus is in the boat with the disciples fast asleep. And the storm is actually so fierce that water is getting in and the boat is sinking. And so they cry out to him for help. And as you heard, he stands up, calms the storm with his words, asks his disciples why they're afraid. And they ask themselves, Who is this man? Who is this man? Now, These three stories and all the other miracle stories in the Bible are intended to invoke in us this sense of awe. That word comes up a lot, awe. They were awestruck because Jesus was clearly no ordinary man and the stories were written down because the people who were in his presence wanted us to know that he had a kind of power and authority that those who knew him when he was living on the earth could only communicate with these amazing stories of what happened. There was no one like him. When we were with him, he provided food for thousands of people. He helped us to do what was impossible. He could calm a storm with a word, Oh, that's all great, right? if the only thing those stories convey to us is how amazing Jesus was when he walked the earth so long ago, I'm not sure what the point is. If their power doesn't also help us recognize and respond to a similar power at work in us. Each one of them has something to say to us about how God shows up sometimes whenever we find ourselves pushed to the very edge of our capacity. So let me go back quickly through the three and let's consider in the first story about the catch of fish. So Peter had been working all night to the point of exhaustion in a field he knew well, like this was his expertise, right? And for all of his effort that night, what did he have to show for it? Absolutely nothing. And that happens to all of us sometimes. Sometimes we work and we work and we work And we're good at our work, and still, nothing. And we're at the end of our strength, and it feels like there's nothing left to do but quit. Now, I dare say sometimes what Jesus might say to to us in that moment is, yeah, you know, actually it is time to stop. It's time to let go. It's time to recognize that what you're doing isn't helping, it's not fruitful, and it's not working. That happens. But sometimes, he says, in essence, why don't you keep going? I know you're tired. I know you can't see what's ahead, but just keep at it. Try one more time to make whatever you're doing work. Don't don't give up and and let me help you. And so we do. We, We get up. We do it again. We try one more time and maybe another time and a time after that. And we don't always see the results immediately, this equivalent of fish just landing in our boat. But somehow we know anyway, this is not the time for us to quit. You with me? I was at a church service yesterday. I was celebrating a new ministry for our congregation that five years ago would have been on the top of my list of churches in our diocese that weren't going to make it. They just weren't going to make it. Everything about them was a disaster. And yesterday, five years later, we were celebrating a new season of ministry in their life with a new priest and a new sense of joy and an energy in the room that was palpable. There was singing, there was dancing, there were children. It was a miracle. And when I think back on those people and how many times they might have been tempted to say, we're done here. But they must have heard something that said, like we hear sometimes, no, one more time, let's let's keep at this. Let's not quit. So. We're about to baptize two babies, and one message I want to say to those of you who are parents and godparents is that one of the most important lessons we teach our children is by our example of persevering when things are hard. And that's not always just our strength alone, but what God gives us in those moments. Remember that. Remember how the voices spoke to you when you were coming up and how important they were because all of us have been there and God meets us in those moments. So that's the first one. Second one, Jesus walking on the water and Simon Peter wanting to walk too. Now, so I'm from Minnesota. We have lakes in Minnesota and they freeze in the winter. So I have walked on water. Have any of you actually walked on a frozen lake? Right, have you done that? It's amazing, right? You're standing in the middle of a lake and solid, but you know that underneath that ice is a whole body of water that would drown you as quick as anything if that ice broke. But it is this amazing feeling of being able to do something that is really impossible. Right? And this story, I think, is trying to encourage us when we have the sense that it's time now to step out of a place that's pretty comfortable, i.e., the boat, into something that feels right now like it's impossible because it actually is. But we're called out there anyway. Sometimes we feel a sense of dread about it, but often, like Simon, we're, we're pretty darn excited. We actually want to go out there. We probably think we can do it better than we can, right? But we want to, and we're made to do that. God created us to stretch beyond what we can do to what we can possibly do by grace and by strength. And Jesus calls us out. Now, what happens to us when we get out there? We sink. And then he lifts us up and gives us new capacities that we, don't, we didn't know we had. Um, now, again, I'm not saying that every time we're in our, in our little safety boats, we're supposed to get out. I actually had a time not too long ago when I was pretty much done with a whole bunch of things in my life, just... I was ready to to get out of that boat and walk toward another. I I was just done. And I started spending a lot of time thinking about what that would look like. But every time I did and tried to spin it out and to make my plans, I would get like this black. Everything in front of me went dark in my mind's eye. And I had the sense that what God was saying to me was, why don't you stay in your boat for a while? This is not the time. And other times, I have felt the exact opposite, and the call is to go out. And So this story is meant for those times, when we have the sense that what's being asked of us, where Jesus is beckoning us, is out there, not here. Third story, last one, Um, this speaks to us of those times when all the safety in our respective little boats is gone, and the storms around us are raging, and we're in danger, physical or otherwise, and these are the times when what we need is calm, we need calm. I'm struck by, in the text, Jesus doesn't talk about safety, but he talks about calm, calming storms. And I would love to say to you that what he does for all of us is just say those words and calms everything around us, but you know as well as I do that that isn't how it happens most of the time. But the way it can happen is when we feel that calm inside allowing us to walk through a storm with a sense of peace. I was just with a friend whose wife died after a very sudden illness and he said to me, there are times when I am so angry I don't know what to do. And I knew that God couldn't bring his wife back to him, right? So my prayer for him is that calm would come. Peace would come to that place inside so that he can put one foot in front of the other and navigate the storms around him and his family. That's what I believe God can do. Now, there are a lot of storms raging around all of us right now. We know this. All over us, in our society, in politics, in church, in family. Storms may not subside any time soon. When I was praying about this the other day, I had this sense that God was saying, you know, it might actually get worse. But I'll be with you. And I am counting on you to be calm in the storm. Now, the reason I've been walking you through this little New Testament lesson here is that I believe this about a life of faith, the life of faith that we are going to promise on behalf of, of two children, and that you and I, whenever we show up in church, recite every week. I don't believe that a life of faith is defined by believing all the right things about God or about Jesus. I don't believe that it's about doing all the right things, because I don't know about you, but more often than not, I fail, So if it's up to about doing right things all the time, I would have had to hang it up a long time ago and I'm a bishop. I believe that a life of faith is mostly this, getting good at paying attention to that voice inside, that presence around you and me that navigates with us each time we have to make a decision. Is this the time to quit? Is this the time to persevere? What do you hear? What is God saying to you in that moment? Is this the time to venture out? Is this the time to stay in your boat? What is God saying to you? What do you hear? Is this the time when the storms will come? Or is this the time when God is asking you to be calm? in the storm, to bring his peace, what is he saying to you? So when you say those words, remember that that's what it looks like to follow him, to trust him, to lean on him. He is the one that keeps hope and love and joy alive in us. He can't cast a magic wand and make everything perfect. He can't make our faith an act of will on our part. It's rather his gift to us, his presence with us, his fruitfulness in us when we decide to follow him and his daily lead wherever he calls us to go. Will you pray with me as I pray for you? Gracious God, I hold before you this beloved community, each person that you deeply love, each one whom you call by name, each one in a boat or on the water, in the storm, persevering, and I ask your blessing and your guidance that they may hear you, and follow your lead. And we pray, Lord, for these two beautiful children now being offered to serve, to love you, that we have promised to love in Christian community. And we pray for them and for all children and all those coming up behind us, that by our example, we may show them what it looks like, not not to have everything work out for us as we want, but what it looks like to follow you and to be your disciples. This day, in the storms we find ourselves in, in the opportunities that present themselves to us, and the ways that we learn to say, yes, Lord, here we are. We're following you. In your name we pray. Amen.